Thank you for reading, Paul. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Let's pray, yeah? Lord God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for life and for strength. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit dwelling among us. God, I just pray that you'd bless our ears and our hearts to hear and rightly respond. I pray that you bless me. Help me to say the things that you want said. And I pray that you bless what I say and that it would go to every heart that needs to hear it, translate it the way it needs to be heard and said and received. And God, get glory here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm just making sure you're still alive. Stay awake. Stay awake. Okay, here we go. As a child growing up in the Williams household, my parents, if they called for me, cried for me, bellowed my name, you answer with, yes, mama, or yes, daddy. And if they called you again, you replied with, coming. Even if you hadn't started the verb part of that continuous form, you said, coming. And if they had to call again, you said, coming, with more sense of urgency as though you were going through the traffic that would lead you to the kitchen or the garage or the backyard from wherever you were being summoned. And if my mother had to call too many times, she would say, girl, stop your coming and come now, okay? Jesus called 12 men to be his disciples and students, and they replied by following him. Some of them left as they were in the middle of a task or a job with no time to leave a two weeks notice. The disciples were a mixed bag of men representing all sorts of people in classes. But they all came when Jesus called. They said yes to following Jesus. Over the next few weeks, as we walk through the Lenten season and visit the Stations of the Cross through our sermon series, our hope here is that you take time to willingly enter into this season of reflection. Reflect on the reality of Jesus and his sacrifice, followed by repentance. You can even find a lovely invitation to Lent in your bulletin. Our Lenten season started with Ash Wednesday this past week, as we heard the words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We were reminded of our frailty and humanity, all while being in complete awe of our Lord's majesty. While some of us are trying to figure out what we'll be fasting from, some of us will be doing cheeses and meats, some from social media indulgences or fancy chocolates, we will look to follow Jesus more closely. This Jesus we follow is acquainted with our griefs. He doesn't shame us, rather he humbles us to recognize our own need to depend on him. Esau McCulley, in the book Lent, writes, Lent is inescapably about repenting. Repentance is a change in direction, a spirit-empowered turning around. Repentance, then, is the first step we make from something else, that something else is our sins. Lent, then, is about turning away from our sins and toward the living God. A season dedicated to repentance and renewal should not lead us to despair. It should cause us to praise God for his grace. In other words... Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is not something to shy away from or to feel bad about. Repentance is a choice to turn, to turn from sin, to turn to God. And this is a very good thing, something to rejoice about. It's what we just rejoiced about with Peter. God, I'm so excited for you. We just rejoiced about this with Peter and his baptism. 
In Psalm 51, if you have a Bible, I know it's going to come on the screen, but if you have a Bible, there's some underneath you. Psalm 51, we're going to be doing Bible stuff today. David says, he prays this to the Lord after his sinful actions of adultery and murder are made known to him by the prophet Nathan. And I know it's a bit long, but I think reciting most of it is important for us to hear. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, and he would have known the cost of following Jesus. He would have heard of Jesus' teachings, and as a young Jewish boy, he would have heard Psalm 51. Many young Jewish boys would have learned the Torah, the Psalms, and the prophets growing up as part of their Hebrew education. This happens in the elementary part of their learning. And yes, even the fisherman, tax collector, doubting kind would have known of David. His mistakes and his praises were not kept secret from the people of Israel many years later. Repentance may have looked different, but it wasn't a foreign concept to these men Jesus had chosen to be his disciples. Judas had seen miracles and even heard Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount from which we get the Beatitudes and further insight into the commandments. Judas and the other disciples would have heard the command to turn the other cheek and love your enemies. So why did Judas do it? Why did he betray Jesus to the religious leaders? Not Jesus. Anybody but Jesus. And Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which in today's currency is believed to be as little as $90 or as much as $3,000, depending on the weight of the silver. Perhaps Judas thought he would get Jesus to show off a little more, you know, and get out of this one like he did when they were in Nazareth and they were about to stone him and then Jesus didn't get stoned. Or maybe Judas thought that the Lord wouldn't really be punished. After all, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the mother seas were looking to punish the Lord and looking to trap him all the time. And he always seemed to outwit them. He proved them wrong. Surely he could do it again. Perhaps Judas was ticked off with the way Mary came and used a year's worth of wages and perfume at Jesus' feet. Judas was the treasurer, and he and the others claimed that the money could have been used for the poor. But Jesus knew better. 
Psalm 139, 1-7 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid a hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What we do know from scripture is that something changed in Judas when Satan entered him, and he was more concerned about keeping his promise to the leaders by having Jesus betrayed for the silver. He probably couldn't dip into the cup at the Last Supper fast enough, and knowing this, knowing him, Jesus still let him go because now was the time, the fulfillment of the promise of the suffering the Messiah would have to endure. A couple of weeks ago, we heard Ronaldo Wall exhort us to be light, to illumine the dark areas of the city, of the realms of society we frequent, and to share Jesus with others. It's cool to be around others who also have the light of God shining through them, but light is light to dispel darkness. Darkness isn't only around us, but if we are yielding to that which is not of God, we can have darkness within. When we allow a moment of darkness to reign, our ability to hear the voice of the Lord is skewed, muffled even. When darkness reigns within, we let voices of the world and others lead us and cause us to doubt the sovereignty of God. And I ask, if God is not our Lord and Savior, who is? We see all around us some of the things that can happen when darkness is in charge. Crime rates increase, lawlessness is popular, witchcraft and idolatry are optional even amongst believers, and we create cycles of terror and death. We believe we can do things in our own strength and let unbelief and doubt lead us into despair and routines of rush and worry. For more than just a moment, Judas followed the voice and instruction of Satan and left an intimate moment with the Lord to betray and sell him. He used his access and close proximity to give the wrong religious leaders of that day an innocent man. And as Matthew 26, 48 reads, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus isn't asking for his own benefit. He knows exactly what Judas is doing. It was foretold centuries ago, and he is the Messiah, of course. Here it is, a moment when Judas can confess He can come clean. He can repent. But instead, Judas says nothing except the greeting recorded in Matthew's gospel. Greetings, Rabbi. Feels slimy, doesn't it? Greetings, Rabbi. It's weird. According to Andrew McClurg of Grand Canyon University, a kiss in the days of Jesus was a sign of friendship and represented acceptance. Not just acceptance by God, but also others who came from similar backgrounds. A sign of equality and respect among friends. It is no wonder that both Peter and Paul on different occasions exhorted new believers to greet each other with a holy kiss or the kiss of love, to welcome Gentile believers, and to let them know that they were indeed a part of the body of Christ. Except Judas used what was a greeting and a sign of welcome to secure a sale and to end his relationship with the Savior of the world. In the flurry of the moment, the disciple we know from other Gospels accounts is Peter, takes out his sword and is ready to fight for his master when he realizes the trouble they are in. Peter is your ride-or-die disciple, okay? He's the one that's going to have your back. He's going to be there. 
if it was today's day, guns blazing. Okay, that's what he's here for. He is ready to be there. He may be trying to prove to Jesus that he won't actually deny him in a few moments, but only Jesus knows that for sure. In haste, Peter chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter thought he was helping. He thought he could fight for what he believed was exacting justice on those who were wrong. But he was wrong. In a day when seeing soldiers march about and daily crucifixions taking place, are we really surprised that violence would be his answer? Even if he had been spending the better part of three years with the author of peace? And then Jesus heals the ear. Jesus heals the ear. People are coming to arrest Jesus, and he takes a moment to heal the ear. What a scene. Imagine being in that garden. I would, I would have run already. But imagine if you stayed and you were in that garden. What a scene. This is the same Jesus the leaders kept asking to see a sign and a wonder from, even after he had performed so many miracles. This is the same Jesus who told them to love their enemies and to pray for them. And now this Jesus, as he is being approached by an angry mob and betrayed by a friend and disciple, heals the ear of someone in the enemy's camp. One example of truth, one example of humility and love. Friends, love isn't just red and pink clashing together for our Valentine's Day moments. Love is Jesus in the midst of chaos, still shining light in the middle of darkness. So after all of that excitement, an innocent man of color we know as Jesus our Lord gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. After the most intense prayer moment, and after feeling the weight of separation from the Father that our sin had him bearing, I often wonder of the difference between Judas and Peter. I wonder if Judas was disappointed, disappointed in Jesus or disappointed in the systems of that day or even in himself. He was doing what he thought was best because he submitted to a voice that would always lead him astray. I wonder if Peter thought he was bodyguard extraordinaire for the Messiah. I wonder if Peter ever gave Jesus a suggestion or some wisdom on how to do things as if he actually knew better than Jesus did. I wonder if, like Judas, we have ever been disappointed by something the Lord has done or not done in our lives. Maybe something he hasn't done in our homes, our churches, our city, or our country. Have you considered betraying the faith and selling out because it's just not what you thought it would be? Or are you fed up like Peter at the ways the Lord has not taken your ways of helping him into consideration? Are you annoyed when the Lord seems to stop you from carrying out seemingly good actions? I tend to give God suggestions on how he can answer my prayers. I tend to give God suggestions on how he can speak to me. I prefer a neon light with an arm pointing down saying, this is how you do it. Friends, the difference between Judas and Peter, these two loved and chosen disciples, is repentance. The fear of the Lord brings repentance. And I know what you're thinking, Tamika, you want me to be afraid of God? No, 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 absolutely not. This is not like the fear of heights or spiders. I have both of those. Yuck. The Bible says that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. No one is delighted of someone they're afraid of. And no one delights in someone who scares them. 
To fear God is to have holy respect and reverence for him and to be in awe of him, knowing that he is Lord over everything and much bigger than we can imagine. It is from this place of wonder that I realize that my sin can separate me from the ultimate source of love. And so it compels me to go to God with everything so I can just be with him. So I can learn from him so I can grow in my love for him and grow in the knowledge of who he is. Judas either stopped or didn't fear Jesus. Esau McCulley, who in the book Lent also writes, confession is helpful because it involves examining our spiritual life in an intentional manner. Many serious Christians, realizing they are stuck in sin, will confess it to themselves or others and try to change. But there is also a host of sins of which we are unaware. During this Lenten season, please take this time to examine yourself and confess to the Lord anything that needs confessing. Take time to tell the Lord the truth. He knows your heart anyway. And the way he responds to us is always out of his great love for us. He is not this big judge with a hammer ready to knock you over. He is this gracious, loving father wanting you near. And ask the Lord if there are areas of sin in your life that you are unaware of. And come back to him. He's calling you. He says, come. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, this was not easy things to hear. But we need to hear hard things sometimes. So God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the weight of it. Thank you for the example we have in Luke 22. Jesus, we're going to enter a time of confession again. So I pray, would you... Would you help us to search our hearts as we do that? In Jesus' name. For our reflection time, let's actually take some time to confess to the Lord again. I know we did it earlier. Pastor Nestor led us in a really beautiful time of confession. But it would be a waste to come here again with anything in us when we could have left it at the foot of the cross today. So take some time. And we'll pray again. We're going to look at these questions. What are ways you've been disappointed by God? What are ways you felt like you were helping God while getting nowhere? We're going to surrender that to him. And are there areas of your heart where darkness has more of a say than Jesus does? Let's take some time now to reflect. Thank you.